Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. I know all you listeners out there aren't used to this, but I'm actually going to start introducing the guests. We've had complaints, people saying that they, Mike just breaks into it right away. That's me. Breaks into it right away, gets to what he wants to talk about, and nobody even knows who I'm talking about. So let's talk about him. His name is Mike Keanu. Uh, he currently serves as a strategic marketing director for Cooper's Ephesus Sports Lighting Business. Mike joined Ephesus when in 2014 as he, as he oh, it was growing from a startup to a leader in sports and entertainment lighting. Prior, prior to joining Ephesus, Mike worked at Future Elections as the, a regional technical manager and holds a bachelor's in optics engineering from the University of Rochester and a, mass, a master's in lighting from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. But, Greg, come on, man. we got to talk about LED-LLC.com, man. That's light-efficient design. So original, man, with their great products. Right. And one product we've talked about before and I've mentioned before is their bollard retrofits or their cob lighting. Now, again, they're the originators of this, in my opinion, at least. They're the first ones I saw that came out with it several years ago. And now they have a specific bollard retrofit that is expertly engineered to work efficiently in enclosed fixtures and damp environments while also protected against insects and dust. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked at cobs that, mm. and other from other manufacturers that have insects all built into them and nasty looking in a bollard. And then in addition to it, it's color changing with a switch, 3K, 4K, 5K. Keep them happy, reduce your stock, get a bollard retrofit from Light Efficient Design. Come on, brother. Get it right. Keep it tight. Go to led-llc.com. Of course, proud members of the most important association in the lighting industry right now, and that's the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Get associated. What are you waiting for? Get educated. we got all sorts of stuff coming out, and we're even going to do a convention. That's right. So go to NAILD.org. But for right now, Mike Keanu, what's happening, Mike? Hey, guys. Doing great. How are you? You know, We're doing good. Trying to sell light bulbs every day. Yeah. Hey, same here. Are we all? That's the name of the game, right? Sure is. Yeah, I, I noticed in your um, and Mike, we've talked about this before. You're saying there's no degrees in lighting. When I re- heard your bio and I read it, it seems like you have a degree in lighting. <laughs> is that right? No, boring? I don't. I, I, I don't say that. I say there's no okay. lighting engineers. Oh, sorry. Right? There's electrical engineers. There's mechanical engineers. There's no lighting engineers. That's not a designation that. Uh, universities or colleges give out so your stamp will say electrical if you're working on lighting right no i know everyone seems to have a unique story about how they kind of backdoored their way into the lighting industry mine's probably the most straightforward right i did an optics degree then i went to the lighting program at um, the lighting research center at rpi and just kept pursuing lighting and so now here i am on the podcast there you go now, Ephesus is part of Cooper, but I assume it started as its own company. It set a startup here. Is that correct? Yeah, Ephesus, you know, probably founded in 2011, just a small startup company thinking about, uh, you know, uh, bollard retrofit kits and street lighting kits, you know, a really forward thinking technology company. And that finally landed on sports lighting as something to focus on because it, it was becoming clear in the market that the traditional uh, sports lighting manufacturers were getting out and there was a kind of this big void and a huge need, particularly particularly at the professional level 
where um, the HID lamps and ballasts weren't being supported. So, so there was this pent up sort of need happening that we just happened to hit at the right time and, and had some big wins early that set the company on a, on a trajectory to where we are today. So who you know, started we, it? We were, uh, no, sorry, uh, the founders, yeah, founders were a gentleman named Joe Casper um, and Amy Casper. And then uh, Mike Lorenz was also uh, more on the commercial side, helped uh, get the business forward in the market and, and land some of those big projects early on. So there was a, just a, a small group of folks that, that started it a core group of engineers uh, that came from a, a Lockheed Martin. So that, that type of radar systems background that sort of translates nicely to light and thinking about throwing light long distances and communicating to the light, that sort of thing. And then when did Cooper purchase it? So we actually were acquired by Eaton in 2015, right? So, so we did, um, University of Phoenix Stadium, the Arizona Cardinals were hosting the Super Bowl for the 2014-2015 NFL season. We did a handful of NHL venues as well, and it started to gain some attention. So Eaton acquired us in 2015, and then uh, maybe you guys are familiar, Eaton spun out the lighting division. We became Cooper Lighting, and then we're acquired by Signify. So now, you know, Ephesus, small startup company in in 2012, now part of the largest lighting manufacturer in the world. So it's a pretty remarkable story. Are the founders still active with the company? No, the founders have moved on to pursue other interests. Although Mike Lorenz still supports the Ephesus business exclusively with his organization, NGU Sports Lighting. So he's representing us in a handful of regions and, and in the professional markets. Um, so still very active, um, more on a, a sales and, and marketing uh, company that he started up in the past few years and, and is doing very well. Very good. Well, now let's get into sports lighting a little bit. Um, all right. I was looking at, so I guess, first of all, you mentioned it, but HID and, and sports lighting was a traditional way. And it's really to the point where, is it gone? Can you still get HID sports lighting? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's gone. I, you know, I, I, anyone. I don't even know if you can get the look, ballasts. Like to well, that's just the it. I, I mean, I hear stories about, you know, a, a, a major league stadium that converted to LED. Now the other stadiums who have HID are going to them saying, do you have any lamps? Do you have any ballasts left? Can you help me out? Because everyone's yeah. out of the game. Right. So it, it's a challenge for all those folks. So, you know, any new project, I'm not aware of anything that's that's HID. Of course, we're exclusively LED at this point, but I think it's it's pretty much gone. Yeah, that's for new installations, though, Greg. I mean, uh, I think the the outdoor sports and f outdoor facilities is the most under LED. Applicant, if that even makes sense, what I just said there. Yeah. But the least converted of all applications that are out there. I mean, you talk, I'm not talking about, you know, whatever, you have the big stadiums. That's not what a, a nail distributor is going to go after anyway. You're talking about those municipal baseball parks, yep. the towns, and, and controls are just such a wonderful, this is such a wonderful application for lighting controls as well. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, sports lighting was is sort of the final frontier of LED conversion, right? Just because of the high output nature of it. 
kind of the, the economics are, are finally starting to make sense. We, we look at the conversion in the market professional level, probably close to 50% down at the municipal level, probably 5%, right? So it, yeah. it's still in its infancy and th there's a lot of conversion to do. And, and, and your point about controls, absolutely. Right now we're doing things like embedded wireless control in the fixture. So if you're doing a retrofit, take that HID down, put up our LED fixture, apply the power to it that, that's already there. Now you have light and controls coming from the fixture back to a you know your iPhone or however you want to control it, a tablet, a button station, and you can schedule, you can dim, you can trigger dynamic scenes and, and bring entertainment lighting. You know, the high schools love it because now they can look like the pros, you know, at a much more kind of affordable price point, all wirelessly. So from an install standpoint, very efficient. So yeah, I mean, it just for sports lighting, LED and, and controls makes a ton of sense. Now the, you said 50% professional level. It's only a matter of time, I assume, that they're all gonna be LED, right? Yeah, exactly. Probably in the next okay. three, four years, yeah. And since you guys started doing it, it sounded like 2014 is when you, you started getting into the professional level facilities. Right. As there Was there one year that had the highest sales total like everybody did it in 2018 or anything like that or has it been consistent i'd say you know there was sort of that ramp up 2014 15 that when we got into 2017 and 2018 that's when you know you had the the leagues started pushing standards for led the nba the nhl mlb all came out with a standard you know the, the broadcasters were pushing for better lighting the uh, the venues pushing for improved fan experience, right? You know how it is. Someone does something that's unbelievable. Now every other venue wants to do it, right? They're all chasing the trends, and so to you know to see the venue down the street be able to trigger a light scene and do chase scenes and tie to music, it just started to catch on uh, very quickly. So I, I I'd say it's it reaches peak probably in 2018, but still pretty steady. So it's moving quickly at that level. I look at this as, you know, uh, often we, we, we talk about this show on human centric lighting and circadian photobiology and all mm -hmm. this sort of stuff. And that translates into this idea of the non-energy benefits of lighting. Okay. Yeah. But yep. to me, to me, this is such a non-energy benefits of lighting play. Like people may talk about, you know, I'm going from 1500 watt metal halide down to 400 watt LED or whatever the, the numbers are, and it's yeah. all energy savings. Who cares about the energy savings? Like, it's almost right. irrelevant. When you look at it, it's like, you know, you go to a high school and you say, okay, so what is it that you actually want to do with this lighting system that you can't do now? Oh, well, yeah. we'd like the coaches to be able to turn it on. We'd like community sports leaders to be able to turn them. We want the, the field used more. And it can't be used at night now because only three people have the key to the electrical room and it's on a timer yeah, exactly. and it turned off in the middle of the baseball game last week or whatever. It was in extra innings and the lights went off. Um, yep. So to me, this is such a non-energy benefits play. Uh, how does Ephesus feel about that? Yeah, exactly. The, the usage is low, right? Although you, we're starting to see a balance there. But I, I think that perspective that we had early on is what allowed us to be successful as a small startup right because at the time i remember like a you know a 10,000 lumen low bay was everything that was converting to led 
right? So the thought of doing 150,000 lumen stadium light, everyone thought we were crazy, right? The, the price point made no sense. The energy payback made no sense, but the venues wanted to expand what they were doing to your point. They wanted more entertainment capability. They wanted a better broadcast experience, a better experience for the fans, for the players. And so there, you know, there's no financial calculator to tell you what the value of that is. You had to take the risk to go out uh, and do that. And so, you know, that, that's what we did early and, and we're successful. And, and now today, you know, Hey, the prices are coming down. You know, you think about municipal high school markets, you know, it's, it, it there's a functionality that, that they're defining and a, a payback that's starting to make better sense. And so now the rest of the market's starting to catch up. Yeah, I think we need to avoid the payback conversation in this space because it's always going to be long. I don't care how much the costs yep. have come down. The equipment yep. costs, the installation costs, the commissioning costs, the fixtures are going to be much more expensive than a, a typical glare bomb LED that, you know, it's really got to be done right. So I think we have to take the conversation away from payback um, and cause even the maintenance costs, I mean, I know in my municipality, they do a group relamp every 10 years or something like that on the outdoor lights. So like, you can't really make those cases to people. I think we have to go in talking about the usage and the payback of giving the community better access. And I'm not talking about the stadiums here. I'm talking about the community level, community, better access to their own facilities. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. And that's and that's what it is still. It's better access through the controls, better lit environments, right? And then if you want to do entertainment things, like like a lot of the high schools, you, you now you can do that too. Yeah. So so payback is kind of secondary, kind of a nice to have. But to your point, doing it right also very important, right? I mean, you have to be selective with sports lighting. You're talking about more or less putting a computer at the top of a hundred foot pole. And to have an expectation that that's going to be there 10 years out from now, you want to make sure you're doing your homework because, you know, I'm, you know, we all see it. There's things available out in the market that folks should probably pause. But, you know, you, how many how many facility operators of a sports venue have ever purchased lighting? It's very few. Right. So, I mean, they're generally uneducated. So we find ourselves oftentimes educating folks on the factors that matter for sports lighting and, and reliable systems and implementation. So yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. One of the first things I would do in that situation, and this is a Canadian kind of issue, is that many mm -hmm. of those, uh, those sports lights in Canada will be 347 volt. Okay. Yep. And in the States, many of them will be 480 volt. Okay. Right. And mm -hmm. you know what? You have a big ass core and coil ballast like this. Okay. With a huge copper coil inside of it. That's running. If anybody's never seen a 1500 watt metal halide ballast, it's freaking enormous. Okay, probably yeah. weighs, probably weighs twenty five pounds. Okay, um, and that's getting whacked with four eighty volt, no problem. That's getting whacked with three forty seven volt. That doesn't make a difference to it. It's just a huge copper coil and everything else. You got to drop that voltage down. If I was talking to a um, a municipality and they came to me and they said, you know, we want to do this, we're going to go three forty seven volt to save money. I would say that's absolutely crazy. You got a, a, a advanced piece of electronics up there. You can't be hitting that thing on and off with such high voltage. You're going to kill something in there. Is going to blow. And uh, I think that they sh I think that part of the, the sale on, on, you know, on this end is to drop that voltage down. Very simple to do, very easy to do in the, in the, um, in the realm of LED where you're saving 50 or 60% of the energy. You just, mm -hmm. you, oftentimes it's simple as changing a circuit breaker. 
and having the electrical safety authority or the local electrical whatever come by and have a look at it. And then you lower that voltage down, you protect those electronics up there. The life will be way longer. I don't care what anybody yep. says about that. For sure it will last. Well, that's just it. I, you know, I, I think it, it, it's doing your homework. It's understanding what are the weakest links in the system and, and, and who understands those the best and how do you protect your investment, right? I mean, there's, you know, people think about, you know, the, the power supply is the weakest link in the system. Well, in a sports lighting system, it, it might be things that are in the light head 100 feet up, electronics, LEDs. Right. You know, speaking from from our perspective, we we do a lot of testing here at, at Cooper Lighting on those components themselves to understand things like solder joint failures and, you know, color shift, lumen depreciation over time. So, you know, we, we have almost 20 years of, of data to pull from to say, OK, when we put this up and we tell you 10 years and you're going to have the same light levels or, or similar. You know, we have the data to, to stand behind that. So, you know, those are the types of factors that we think about. How about heat? Uh, you know, when you're in a Arizona baseball field, you know, in the summer, are, are you concerned about the heat in the components in these fixtures? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, even though, of course, it's at, at nighttime and outdoors, heat, as we know, destroys LEDs. Mm -hmm. And so we work extensively to ensure that our LEDs are going to are, are going to survive in that environment. In fact, we rate our fixtures to operate. 24-7 uh, over 10 years, right? So, you know, even though the, the operating hours are much lower, we, we go well above and beyond, you know, sort of the application requirements. Because again, when those fixtures are up high, you, you don't want to have to touch them. We're trying to eliminate downtime, right? Not go and support our customers who have a fixture out here, a fixture out there, and now you have to come out on site. We never want to do that. So we, we lean heavily on, on our, our uh, R&D test data and our thermal management to make sure that we can offer a system that that uh, eliminates downtime. That's the goal. What is the, the rating of the fixtures? Uh, temperature? Yeah, so temperature, so so we'll go up to 50C uh, ambient conditions uh, in certain fixtures, right? And, and I think that's driven largely by indoor applications, right? You know, you get up into a catwalk and the, the, the air conditioning system sits below the catwalk and, and you can get pretty hot up there. Uh, but but even in outdoor conditions, you know, early evening hours when the sun's going down, you know, to your point in Arizona or Florida, it's, it's going to get pretty hot. So we found 40C minimum, 50C in some cases that that we're rating for, you know, and and I and I see um, other products out there that have much less metal with higher ratings. And it just makes me pause and say, okay, what, you know, is this something that's going to last? I'm having a hard time with your 50C claim. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I'm not saying it's not true, but I, 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 so I don't know if you've ever been on one of those catwalks that are high temperature. Um, I have. I've sure, been in, yeah. a, in, a, in a lift. Uh, the factory, I think, was 75 feet high, enormous presses. And I went up on, on the, the zoom boom to the top of that place. It was probably about 46C, okay, maybe yeah. 42. Um, that is hot as hell and, and, and um, literally as hot as hell. And uh, you're talking about deploying a fixture that, um, you know, is tuning itself. It's controlling itself. It has multiple pieces of electronics in there. And you've done this heat management without polychlorinated biphenols in there? Like, are you putting PCBs in that fixture? Like, how the heck do you guys 
like the 50C seems like a, everybody that I've encountered that has 50C in their ratings is no longer in business in the lighting industry. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So our standard fixture is 40C, right? With all the electronics, we have some that are much more simplified, right? And I'm talking, you know, we're using silicone optics, uh, chip on board technology, and putting heat sinks on our drivers to pull that heat right out of the driver and, and get it into ambient. And, and because we're um, using such such a robust heat sinking technology, we can keep all the rated temperatures well below their max, even in even in a 50C ambient environment. So yeah, I mean, hey, we're doing it. We're not doing it in every case, but you know, sometimes when it's required, we'll 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 extend and say, yeah, hey, we can do it. We've done the testing. Hmm. In terms of the, the fixtures that you have, um, you know, you guys have been doing it for whatever it is, seven years or so. Have you been doing advancements in it every year or does it kind of stay steady? Like we've got a really good product here and we might tweak a little, but it's about where it's at. Well, it, it's interesting because when you think about the professional level, they want all the bells and whistles and they were adopting early. But then you work down to the municipal level and they don't, you know, they don't do they need color tuning and integral RGB inside the fixture. Not really. They, they want, you know, something that's a little bit more uh, simplistic. Maybe that's not a great word, but less sophisticated. And, and so as as we as the marketplace evolves, you know, we're trying to develop solutions that respond to the customer's needs and challenges. And so that's not always going to be, you know, the most, uh, you know, highly integrated fixture with all, with all the bells and whistles. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we come out with fixtures that are just white light with on off control or just, just wireless control, right. Knowing that no one's ever going to run a DMX connected uh, controls front end. And so, you know, we're, we're always going to develop uh, a solution that we, we think the customers are asking for and maybe even, lead them to where they want to go a little bit too. And uh, how many players or competitors do you feel that are in the industry that you're in? I know there's you and I, I can think of one. We don't have to name any names, but the one I'm thinking of actually, you know, to give it away, d does installs too. They're kind of selling it direct in a way. And then they have their install team actually going and do it. How many do you guys consider out there? It's a handful, right? So, you know, it, it's a small, uh, competitive industry. Some of the historical players got out, you know, the one, the big names that I think, I think we're all familiar with. And so you're seeing some of the smaller players get in, but, but you're right. Sports lighting, you know, we can talk about the fixtures till we're blue in the face. It is as much a turnkey installation system delivery business as it is a fixture business. Right. And, but, you know, I think where we separate is we're one of the only ones who actually make our own fixture. And we also provide the turnkey installation, right? So we have that backbone of fixture testing R&D within Cooper Signify that dates back, you know, since the start of LED outdoor lighting. And so we can apply that to our fixtures and then leverage the resources that Cooper Signify have to offer uh, services to deliver poles, cross arms, controls on a truck to the site with our own project management team that make sure the customer is happy so it's a great point and uh you know i, I couldn't agree more i mean that, that that's definitely one of the differentiators in, in the sports lighting industry yeah so there's a you know we've seen the collapse of the distribution channel in the last 10 years in in the lighting business this uh podcast is the official podcast of the national association of innovative lighting distributors 
Um, when you're talking about that, what market are you referring to? Are you referring to stadiums, large stadiums, or are you referring to everything down to the municipalities? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the entirety uh, of the market, right? So we I mean, don't there, like there you. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> we don't like, get off the show. Get this guy out of here. No. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, there, there's an expectation, right, that's been set over the past couple of decades, right, that sports lighting kind of goes to market a little bit differently. Now, now, that's not, you know, but every customer has a preference, right? And and, and some want to work through their distribution, some want to work directly. And so, you know, there's an openness to, to do whatever's in the customer's best interest and our partner's best interest. So, you know, we, we can kind of do it any way that uh, that's required. And I, I've done one project total in sports lighting in the 15 years I've been at it. It was for a local football field because I'm the, I was on yeah. the football board and they needed lighting done and I had never done it before. And what a pain in the ass that was <laughs> for me, <laughs> like not having the background. And, and this was in 2015. So right when you guys were getting going, but we, I remember we compared LED to HID. And at that point they chose HID because it was a third yeah. of the price. Um, yeah. But it, it, it was a process that, you know, not not like anything we do normally, Mike. I don't know if you've sold any, but like selling the poles, doing the layouts, going through the city process, everything. And, you know, I just ran this stuff through at cost because it was for my kids and the kids playing football and all that stuff. And it, it I wasted so much time on it that it was like not worth it almost. I it, did, it I did some it. private tennis courts and, and private facilities. I find the municipal um, situation to be... Um, more conducive to the spec and bid rather than the design build services of a, of a distributor, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're like a lighting distributor contractor, like Greg and I, we're going to go out and tell you what's up. This is what you're going to do. This is how it's going to work. And then they might get other quotes, right? But the city system is going to rely on those engineers and the specifiers and a process. And so yep. um, I know you enjoyed your conflict of interest time while you were on the football board, choosing the lighting for yourself. Um, <laughs> I made nothing off of it. I got a bid from the other one too. So yeah, I I've known Greg. I've known Greg Eric for a long time. I don't think he made nothing <laughs> off of it. But anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying though is that um, you know, for distributors listening to this, there are people that are really they're distributors that are at the other end where they're more specifying and doing you know uh, layouts and designs and all that sort of stuff. And we can do that here at my company as well. But for me, I would I would prefer either very small municipalities where you know the the mayor is a volunteer, uh, or um, you know private uh, facilities and 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 you know outdoor tennis courts, baseball field, whatever, and then we would approach them. The, the municipalities, I I agree with you. It's a process that is um, more suitable to the agents and engineers than it is to distributors. That's that would be my sort of take on that but you know hey distributors go do whatever you want <laughs> i'm not the boss of you <laughs> <laughs> what do you say mike from what your experience is are you um mike q are you uh you're seeing a lot more of it run directly through you guys i assume yeah i well it depends you know if, if you're talking about new systems then yeah well, what mike is saying yes specify engineers kind of traditional lighting process retrofit you know, much less defined, right? So those are, hey, we'll go talk to the high school football coach and say, hey, those lights, you know, have you seen what's possible? And maybe you want to think about LED. 
and start a conversation there, right? Because, you know, retrofit sports lighting is a whole new market. It's never been done before. It was just, I bought an HID system and I changed all light bulbs for 25 years. And that's what it was. Now you're taking those down, you're putting up LED. It's a whole new world. So when you say so, retrofit, yeah. you still mean replace the fixture though. Yeah, I'm talking about yeah, a kit I mean, that goes take inside. Fixture down, right. Yeah, okay. Take a HID fixture down, put an LED fixture up or you know, some maybe you'll take down the whole cross arm and put up a new cross arm of, of LED, but more or less keep the pole and figure out how do what you to deal do with the pole ratings? That's always an issue for me where you know if somebody wants to put a larger bullhorn on the top of the pole. Um so we do a lot of poles, actually. Um yep. but when we retrofitting, you know, you're taking that HID head off, right, which is very heavy. And, mm -hmm. you know, we we often run into this situation where it's like, well, they want to put a triple bullhorn on this. Um, yeah. you know, how, how do we, how do we rate that pole? We're always, we call the manufacturer. They always say, no, you can't put anything else on our pole. You know what I mean? That's always, the answer is oh, always no. Right. Yeah. And then I think to myself like that H a thousand watt HID fixture weighs 65 pounds or whatever it weighs, 40 pounds or something like that. These three LEDs, they weigh 15 pounds collectively. Why can't I snap, yeah. pop a bullhorn on there? Oh, there's wind ratings. And how do you deal with that when you're retrofitting? Yeah, I, you know, a lot of times we bring in a, an engineer, whether it's on our staff or third party, and we have them do an evaluation of the existing infrastructure. And we work with the customer to do that, to ensure that what we're putting on is, you know, going to be structurally sound for the for the foreseeable future. Now, we, we still have to be smart in the design of our, our fixture, right? I mean, if it's a much larger EPA, a, a much higher weight, then we're going to be, we'll have a greater challenge and getting on to existing infrastructure because you want to be lower EPA, lower weight, and that's what's going to allow you to um, to find your way onto more existing poles and cross arms that are out there. Yeah, this this whole sales process, there's just so much involved in it that do you guys, and I know you being the manufacturer might be a little different than someone like us, but do you, do you require some sort of commitment before you take any time on this? Because to me, it would be like, there's so many variables that get involved that before I'm going to spend any more time, I want something, you know, is that, is that where you guys are at too? Or what do you do? I mean, to some degree, but you know, I think what we're, we're trying to do in our process is to educate the customer, be sort of that trusted advisor to their needs and requirements and develop that relationship because, you know, it's hard to go in and say, Hey, I need some sort of commitment. Right. I mean, there's, so many folks who who have a need it's kind of up to us to be smart about you know kind of who's getting close but uh you're right i mean it, it's a heavy lift especially in the professional world right where you know you have to do a design for a full stadium fixtures controls at the high school municipal level i mean you know you can open up the ies handbook and see what the lighting requirements are and the pole setbacks so we kind of are able to get a pretty good estimate on on what's going to be involved in a project and can can pretty quickly uh, give folks a sense of of what that is. So, Greg, you asked him if he if if he charges for assessments, right? Yeah, basically some sort of yeah commitment. Okay, so I'm going to make a statement here. Uh, if you don't charge for assessments, you have a massive gross profit margin on your projects. There's no <laughs> other way to determine it. <laughs> like if you, well, that means very, that every every assessing. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know because for, 
for me, we, we, you know, listen, the lighting business is very profitable, actually. It's a good business to be in. As you know, people back into it, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, and they're like, holy shit, you can make a lot of money in lighting. I didn't know that. <laughs> what a, I mean, lighting is way higher margin than electrical. Everybody knows that, right? Like electrical uh, distributors on their pipe and wire and all that, they're very low margin stuff. They're selling breakers and all that sort of stuff. Lighting guys, they have double the, double the gross profit margin usually. So I would mm-hmm. say that, you know, whenever you hear that, we, we, we give away free assessments or we, 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 we fly to uh, Cincinnati to look at your lighting system for free. It means that, that mar- and this is to distributors, it means that this market is very popular if you're listening. This is a very profitable niche of the market. You may want to think about getting into it. And so finding a place, whether that's the private people, Greg, the private fields, the smaller municipalities that you can have access to, you know, you're not going to fight Ephesus on for the Rogers Center in Toronto. Um, you know what I mean? Like that, that we're not going to win that job. Atlas Lighting is not going to win that job. But there are literally thousands of, um, I don't even know if thousands, tens of thousands of opportunities out there to really add value to municipalities, to these sports fields, private businesses. It's such a wonderful market, Mike. Yeah. And it's a fun market to be in, right? You know, you think about sports lighting, there's probably nothing more exciting and, you know, the folks you get to engage with and the the experience you get to deliver to the players. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great slice of the lighting industry for, for many reasons. Yeah. Mike didn't like my dog whistle there to the distributors. (laughs) He didn't like my dog whistle. (laughs) (laughs) That works. No, no worries. No worries. Um, And I know that when designing these, and then again, from the experience I had, the optics of the fixture is very important, obviously, aiming it in the right way. Do do your fixtures have the capability to change the optics remotely, or do you have to specify and set the optic now, and that fixture is always going to be at whatever optic pattern? that you choose so we yeah for our indoor arena fixture it's called lumadapt we i think it's the only purpose-built fixture for indoor arenas in the entire world i know that's probably a bold statement but i I think most (laughs) others take their outdoor fixture and they just try to put it indoor but in in indoor arenas your needs are much more dynamic right like we just did Scotiabank in Toronto. And of course they have hockey one day, basketball the next day, the circus comes to town the next day, a concert the next day. And so they need a lighting system that can adapt to those needs, right? Hence the Lumadapt. And it, within that fixture, we can adjust the beam angle through the control system, right? So you can go from a, a very narrow beam to a very wide beam just through the DMX front end interface. And so that kind of allows you to reduce fixture count to accommodate NBA, NHL, but then to also adjust your lighting system to meet other needs. And those needs might be known today, but certainly they're unknown when you look five years out, 10 years out. And so, you know, indoor arenas are really taking a liking to that fixture and system for those reasons. How Kelvin temperature, I'm just curious offhand as you're talking about that, is there one set Kelvin temp you do on these standard? Is this 5K the standard or what do you what do you go with? So indoor, the Lumadapt will go from 3000 to 6500. So you can adjust the color temperature, you can adjust the beam angle, and then it has RGB integral to the fixture as well. So, you know, you can create fan experience and do all that. So, so indoor, you know, hockey wants 5600, basketball wants 4000, 4500. Uh, you know, outdoor, we're still seeing, 
I think I'd say 5,600 is still most popular for sports. I know that. Uh oh, <laughs> what I do? <laughs> okay, so this is my next point. You got, you got into yep. it. First of all, I'd like to, yeah. before we go on, I was going to jump in on Scotiabank Place. I, I, I've been there many times. So they used to yeah. have these fixtures. They'd have like so many fixtures in the ceiling, and they had these shields that were like mechanical yeah. shields. Yes. That they would flip over the fixtures. The fixtures wouldn't go off because they're HID. They have to deionize and restart and all. So they had these shields that would flip over and cover the fixture. So I can imagine, in one sense, you can really remove a lot of fixtures from that system if the optic optics is dynamically controlled. It's wonderful. Yep. But um, outdoor stadiums, lighting, and is a massive source of sky glow. And have you has Ephesus looked at um, implementing... Uh, dark sky certification into some of these systems because it is available and it can be done. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, maybe it's a higher cost or something. Have you guys implemented that at all? So you'd have to go lower Kelvin temperature, which isn't a problem because you can have the same color rendering index. People might say, no, 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 I want it to be 5,000 Kelvin. But really, if you're at a lower Kelvin temperature, as long as that CRI is still very high. I know there's TM, whatever now, they call it something different. But yep. you can still accomplish the spectral um, the spectrums that you need, I don't even know what the terms are. I'm the host of the show, but whatever. I sell light bulbs. I sell lots of them, so screw off, everybody. All you LCs out there. I don't care if you know all these stupid terms. I'm not that interested. But I, I, you, can, you, can, you can actually accomplish that with lower Kelvin temperatures and, without, and, and with a reduction in the, um, in the sky glow effect of these stadiums. Are you guys into that at all? We're into it. I'd say we're more into it at the recreational municipal high school level, you know, I mean, the stadiums, they're like rock concerts. I mean, you know, how are you going to control what's coming out of these stadiums? Very difficult to do. Although, you know, we're happy to accommodate those needs uh, of dark sky in, in a stadium, but I'd say more so at the municipal level where, you know, you have houses that are neighboring nearby. I mean, that, that's where it really becomes um, more of a focal point. Right. So, yeah, that's a requirement. Or wildlife, the, uh, like some of these stadiums are on yep. uh, on the coast, and there's there's wildlife there that can be very damaged by high color temperature, light leaking. Mm -hmm. I like to call it light leakage, light trespass, like leakage, which leaking all yep. over the beach and and this sort yep. of thing. So you guys you guys do take that into account. It's fantastic. We do, yeah. Like in our stadium fixture, we um we use a reflector optic, and then we actually have a patent around putting a a little internal louver inside of every reflector cavity. So that prevents the light that would otherwise spill outside of that reflector. It hits that louver, uh, directs it downward and, and keeps the light in the stadium and, you know, and off those wildlife areas or, or, or neighboring communities, what have you. So we think about that. And then at the municipal level, we, we have all sorts of visor technology. Actually, we're coming out with some new stuff now that, that's really going to uh, provide some sharp cutoff and and meet all the uh, requirements, whether it's dark sky or just a, a local municipal uh, ordinance. And just to touch on user control a little bit, I'm going to go back to my example of my football field. Uh, so we have a key and a lockbox on a, on a one shed, and you have to have the code to get that key. And when you get that key, then you can go to the other shed and you can open the door and then you can unlock it then you can go to the panel and you can hit the breaker there's about three people in our community who know how to do it i'm me being one of them how, how can you solve that now what how do you give multi-users control of this of, of their fields so that we don't have to go through that process well we we, we give you a mobile app and a username and password okay. so if you have Easy. those things you can go in and, and turn the lights on and off 
but yeah, I mean, that, that's how it was done. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And you know, you think about trying to operate a venue or be efficient in any way. I mean, I love the stories about how someone forgot to turn the lights off and the operator has to right. wake up at one o'clock in the morning, go drive to the field. Then he forgot the key has to go back home and you know, comes back and then, okay, <laughs> now we can turn the lights off. Amazing. Yep. And uh, maintenance from the, the new product or the LED, how do you guys handle that? Or what are you saying? Because right now you have some applications that have been in place for what, seven years. Is your warranty mm -hmm. five years? We do 10, we do 10 years. Yeah. We do 10 years okay. parts. We'll do, we'll do a 10 years labor. And so, you know, we're standing behind it. Our, our latest technology, we actually uh, implemented the dual power supplies, right? So just trying to think more about eliminating downtime, reducing maintenance, two power supplies, one goes down, the other one takes over, operates the entirety of the fixture. We know that because we'll get feedback from the fixture to tell us, but you know, you're generally gonna maintain your foot candles to an acceptable level, right? And you won't have that black eye effect of, ah, oh, geez, I have a fixture out. And so we thought that was sort of a, a creative way to, uh, to, to, to reduce downtime and, and, and uh, avoid maintenance costs. So what do you tell people but, now? Um, like how, when are they gonna have to replace their lighting? What's that process gonna look like? For LED, well, you know, you, you have 10 years, although we, we know we're gonna last a bit longer than that, but but my sense is LED sports lighting is still evolving. There's, you know, we look at our roadmap in five, six years, we're thinking, man, all these fields we did, they're gonna wanna come back to us and say, oh yeah, I, I think I want that now, right? Because now I'm using my fields for different purposes. I wanna incorporate entertainment capability I have. Now I'm using broadcast camera for streaming. And so, you know, what I did, just changing out these lamps five years ago no longer is appropriate for what I'm trying to do today. So I, I think, you know, I, I see these, these long-term warranties out there and I just think there's, there's no way these people are going to be happy in, you know, 15, 20, 25 years with, with what they purchased, you know, way back when. So I, I think we're, we're still evolving very much on the LED sports lighting world. And it will likely be a, a fixture replacement then is what you're saying. They're not going to be replacing yeah. power supplies. Okay. Yeah, I would, th I, I would think so. And then one other point too, when you design the system, and I think we touched on a little bit, but are you over lighting it to begin with, knowing that it's going to lose the light or are you, how are you handling that? We put it in a factor, you know, usually five or 10% will over light it. It was interesting when LED first came to market, everyone was still using a, a light loss factor of 0.7, which, you know, think you're going to lose 30% of, of LED light based on the usage and over time. I mean, that that just would have to be a very poorly designed fixture, I, I think, right? So I, we, we see the market adopting more of a 0 0.9, 0 0.95 light loss factor when it comes to LED. Sure. And what's the most yeah. recent project you guys completed that we would know? Yeah, well, Scotia Bank was pretty recent. You know, I'd say we did that uh, just towards the end of last year in terms of you know major visibility projects. You know, outside of everything we're doing day to day with at high schools and in these recreational facilities, that's probably our, our most visible. Actually, we just did uh, the NFL uh, stadium in in Carolina there as well. So. You know, we've got some some nice wins we'll, we'll brag about and we can go check light levels over time too go and do that there you go mike Chiano. it's been a pleasure brother all right hey we have to do it again this was great sure yeah.
Next time you have to join Nailed or you're not allowed. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Done. All right. Um, folks, you got to talk about LED-LLC.com. Greg, that's light-efficient design, brother. That's right. Baller retrofits, three color temps in one, and different lumen options they can choose from. Medium mogul base, the dust protection, insect protection we talked about, and it's got good surge protection, which you also need, and multi-mounting, uh, sideways, horizontal, up, down, whatever you need. They got it. Everybody forgets the bollard sucker. Everybody. Every time I go to a new job, I did a, we did all our lights. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't do the bollards. That's right. You got to do it right with light efficient design. That's led-llc.com. Check them out. Um, game changers in this place. They, they've come up with so much great stuff, Greg. They're always hot coming out with something new that distributors can have in their arsenal. The arrow in the quiver. And of course, Greg, all our friends and colleagues at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, get educated, get associated. Come on, folks. What are you waiting for? We got a convention coming up sometime in November. They won't let Michael Colligan cross the border, so I probably won't be there. Maybe I'll be there. I don't know. We're going to see. But you should be there if you're in the U.S. Get down there, man. It's going to be a hell of a time. Greg Eric's going to be running the whole show. He's going to be working his butt off, planning that convention <laughs> out and everything for you folks down there. And, of course, Mike Keanu, Ephesus Sports Lighting. Folks, it's been a pleasure, Mike, and to all of you out there. Let's go. Let's do this thing.